Well, I've been a speaker at GYC before, but my name is Ed Reed, and my wife Kathy is with me here. And we just flew in last night from Maryland, and we are glad to be here and hope that you have a wonderful session. Uh, this one is not the lottery ticket, you know, how to get rich or anything. Uh, what it is, is uh, uh, what we want to do is understand the biblical principles of money management. And uh, I can tell you that if you function in society, you will need to know how to manage or you're going to be in really, really deep trouble. And that's the real situation that we're, we'll talk about. So I will use the Bible a lot, especially for the first two sessions. And then after that, we're going to talk about how to manage. Uh, most of you know that we're presently experiencing the most unusual financial situation in history. I believe that it's for anyone living, uh, really, for most people that could remember the Great Depression, only kids, uh, you know, were kids back then could remember it today. So anyway, I think what we'll do is just have a prayer and begin, and then I'll give you some Bible principles to begin with. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity we have to be together. I pray that you bless each of us as we contemplate these important things, and may our hearts and minds be open to the understanding of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I only told you where I was from. I actually am the stewardship director of the North American Division, so my day job is teaching money management. And uh, uh, I say the day job because I also enjoy eschatology and end time things. And uh, for those of you who have a general interest in that, you will likely know that the Bible actually predicted what we're seeing today. Uh, and that is uh, 2 Timothy, the third chapter. And uh, you know the first couple of verses, know this, the last days perilous times will come because men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. All of the unusual things you've seen recently in the American economy are a result of one word. You know what the word is? Greed. Greed. Absolutely amazing things. And people are walking away with millions of dollars in their pockets, and some of the people who are their employees or investors are losing lots of money. So we're, I'm not going to spend so much time talking about the problems more than we want to see about the solutions. So I will uh, get started here. Uh, first of all, I want to show you something. Uh, I usually give handouts, but this is a special time. You guys are very, very unique and special people to me. So I've been working uh, for about four years to produce a new small group Bible study on money management, and it's called Faith and Finance, and you see it up there. Uh, it actually has not been printed yet. This is just an advanced copy, but I brought uh, enough for everybody to have one. Uh, it, it's going to be introduced, actually, at the Ministries Convention in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina next month. But you guys will be the very first ones to see it. And uh, for everyone, I'm going to put you on your honor. If you attend at least four of my sessions, I will give you one. It's a $13 value. But it is, it's a 12-lesson Bible study on money management, and it covers everything you could ever think of about money, including, you know, planning for school, how to get through school without a student loan, you know, how to buy a house, how to buy a car, how to plan for retirement, you know, all those kind of things, what Christians should do for investments. Uh, I think you'll find it to be very, very helpful. Uh, and the, the, the cost is... It's complimentary to those who come to at least four of the six meetings. So at the end of today, if you've been to all four, you'll tell Kathy, and we're going to open it up. And uh, I say open it up because I've got a box here that I brought on the airplane. Real honestly, I don't want to carry it back with me, but <laughs> <laughs> you understand. Uh, I don't know. Uh, 
we could actually, I'd like to know just for my sake, Kathy's going to circulate a, a, a little thing for you to sign your name on, but ultimately it will be up to you to tell me that you have been here four times. And if you don't do it today, by the way, when I look down through the seminars, I wish I was somewhere else right now, but <laughs> there's, there's lots of good ones, I can tell you that. I'm just kidding you. But anyway, there are, will be a, a number of them, but this is very, very valuable information. It's about 25 years worth of my research, and it has the latest information, including the subprime mortgage debacle and the, 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 the current crisis. You understand with the $700 billion bailout that the federal government is now $11 trillion in debt? That's in here. It's that's, this is that valuable a book. The problem with it, books like this on money management is that they soon get out of date when you have terrible problems, but it's as current as we could get it. And uh, we also put a, a spiral binder on it so that when you're doing the worksheets and so on, it will lay flat and you'll find it to be real helpful. It won't break down on you in that way. Okay. Yeah, somebody, yes, please. Can some of us that are going to attend all choose to purchase a few more for family? Yes, I think you could do that, yes. Uh, because I actually brought more than I think we're going to need. So if you want to buy some at the end, we'll make them a special price for you, a special Adventist price. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you a question now, and this is a very serious question. Why do you think God asks us to give him tithe and offerings? Well, I'm hearing lots of good answers. Uh, the real situation is that he does not need the money. Does everybody understand that? Uh, someone just sent me a manuscript, which I think is going to be a pretty good book with some modifications, and it's called Rich God, Poor God. And do we serve a rich God or a poor God? Do you think he wants us to go through life in debt our whole lives? and really struggling to make ends meet. The Bible has some amazing principles in it, and I'm going to share those with you. And I believe that God wants us to prosper. Do you understand what that means? That doesn't mean you're going to become wealthy, but it means you have what you need when you need it. That's the real point. And God can do that for you. I think it's really, really valuable to know. So what we're going to look at is just some basic things about the Bible to begin with, and then I'll, I'll show you what I consider to be the real foundation. Two-thirds of Jesus' parables deal with money, money, material possessions, and our attitude toward them. More than 2,000 Bible texts deal with money. Uh, only about 500, for example, deal with prayer, and less than 500 deal with faith. So you understand how important this is to God. When you read through the Bible, it's very, very interesting that you can see this uh, principle there. Uh, there are people who sell books about how to become a millionaire. Uh, I'm, I'm really serious about this. I, I, I'm sure that most of you know that this is a true statement. I want you, if you take notes, to write down a reference right now. It's in the little book, Steps to Christ, and most of you have probably read this or you have access to a copy. It's Steps to Christ, page 44, and it says, The love of money, the desire for wealth, is the golden chain that binds men to Satan. Isn't that incredible? The love of money, the desire for wealth, is the golden chain that binds men to Satan. Now, I just told you that God wants us to prosper. There's a real, real unusual situation, and that is between prosperity and wealth is a tipping point. Do you understand? Because the Bible, it's very, very interesting. Many of you have been on mission trips, and if you've been to India, for example, Kathy and I have been to India, and probably a lot of you here have, most of the people who become Adventists in India right now are from what class of people? 
the poorest people called the untouchables. Why aren't the rich people coming? They're satisfied, content with what they've got. You understand? And so it's very, very interesting that you can tip over to the other side. Ellen White even gives the illustration of people who said, if I just had lots of money, I'd contribute a whole bunch of money to the cause of God. And in one particular case that Ellen White wrote about, a family got blessed, and guess what they did? They forgot about God. Isn't that incredible? So we understand there's a, there's a passage in Proverbs, the 30th chapter, and I think maybe I'll just tell you what verses it is so you can see. God wants us to have plenty so that we can have a surplus to help advance the cause. You understand? But let's just look at it. It's Proverbs, and it's chapter 30. And I'll tell you the exact verse here in just a second. I have my Bible marked, so when I get to the, close to it, I find things pretty easily. Here it is. It's verses 8 and 9 in Proverbs 30. And it says, Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food you prescribe for me, lest I be full and deny you. That is, you know, have too much. And say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. In other words, we just want our needs met. Uh, believe it or not, since we as Seventh-day Adventists, more than any people in the world, I'm going to tell you this morning that you'll understand something amazing. We know what's going on in the world more than any group in the world, period. It is very, very, very interesting. And the real interesting thing is, one of the things that we know, very soon Jesus will come and all the stuff of this earth is going to get burned up. Isn't it true? In fact, we're told in the little book, Councils on Search, at page 60, that as we near the close of time, we should be getting our stuff in as compact a form as possible so not much of our stuff gets burned up at the end. Isn't that interesting? It's pretty practical counsel when you look at it. Okay, so what we're going to look at here is uh, something interesting. Why is money so alluring? In our society, money is equated with success and power. By the way, many of the people that you may encounter in earth are not really rich. They're in debt. Isn't that true? Yeah. Um, in other words, they're making payments on everything. It, it's really interesting. But the recognition and position that it comes with, accomplishment, and oh, these are important to people. Lack of money is often seen as failure or weakness. So we're going to start at the beginning. I've been teaching stewardship, and I will just tell you that I'm an attorney as well as a financial planner, but I will just tell you that my primary counsel to you will be from God's Word. Because this is really important to me. People ask me, what's your favorite stewardship text in the Bible? You're looking at it right there. That's it. The very first verse in the Bible. By the way, this is not one of the 2,500 because most people wouldn't think of this as a stewardship text. But it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what that means is the very first thing the Bible teaches us or establishes about God is He's the creator of heaven and earth. And this forms the foundation for everything else the Bible says about Him and about who we are and about how we should relate to Him. So if God is the owner, what are we? We're just simply stewards. He's the creator, so He's the owner. We're just managers. That's all we're ever going to be. By the way, do you know how you actually can take ownership of it? Does anyone know that? I have a whole chapter about that in the new book, Faith and Finance. It's the last chapter, The Rewards of Faithfulness. Ellen White says, everything we do to help others and help advance the cause of God is put to our account in heaven. And when we get there, it will be given to us, and then it will become ours. Until then, it belongs to God. Isn't that interesting? Pretty amazing stuff. 
there's another one here. And this is the fact that he's creator also means that everything belongs to him. And uh, also that he's the one that receives honor and glory. Now, the real interesting thing about all of this, I'm not going to stop with all of these because they're in the book and I want to get on to other things. But the, I think this one is real important. The blessing of God's presence with us in the midst of a world of sin and death reaches its most sublime expression in the life, the work, and the death of Jesus Christ. In him, God came and dwelt among us, assuring eternal redemption to those who believe in him. Now, the reason that I tell you this is because of sin, we've got problems like crazy in this world. You know, just recently there was a guy, just two or three days ago, uh, a, a, a Wall Street investment guy who took $50 billion from investors. It was a Ponzi scheme, you understand. The real interesting part about it is my daughter Melissa asked me the other day, don't these people have a conscience? Doesn't it bother them? that they're doing this to people? Wouldn't you think they would? But it's incredible that they seem that nothing bothers them. It's just amazing. Many of the, peop many of the people who uh, are, are they're, they're big institutions, Fortune 500 companies are going under, they leave with what they call the golden parachute with millions of dollars in bonus money. Just amazing that you see all that. So I'm gonna ask you uh, a couple of questions as we go on here. And I'm gonna show you this one thing. In six days the Lord made he the heavens and the earth. In other words, he's the creator. That's the whole point of the Ten Commandments. That's the part that identifies God as the lawgiver. It's, it's really, really interesting. He's the creator. When Kathy and I were going to India to do evangelism several years ago, I uh, thought to myself, well, not a lot of the people who come to our meetings will have Hindu background. And uh, that being the case, they've got like 300,000 gods already. So that if I tell them about Jesus, guess what? Now they have 300,001. It's no big deal. You know, how can you change their life? So do you know a layperson? Two laypersons help me with this. You know, I'm a pastor, so I can just tell you that two laypeople help me with this. Right in the same area before I went over, just about three months before, uh, some people went over there, Bob Paulson and Garwin McNeilis, went and had a meeting just a short distance from where I was. In fact, they came back and we had a big baptism and rally together. But I asked them, what did you do to tell the people about Jesus? And Bob said, well, somebody else told me, so I'll tell you. Our God is the creator of heaven and earth. Can you match that? Do you understand the point? He's the God of everything. And he's the one that we, I'm going to show you a few texts like this, and then we'll get into some other points here. Real interesting. A real fascinating encounter uh, happened between Jesus and the disciples, and it's recorded in Matthew. We're not going to actually read it. I'm just going to show you a couple of points. Now remember, we're talking about creator of heaven and earth. Uh, in this question that Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And uh, he asked that same question. Some people said he was a great prophet. Some say he's a great teacher. Some say he's a wonderful moral example. Some say he's an outstanding philosopher. But the big question is, who do you say that I am? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, what's the next part here? I am. Now, if you read through the Bible, there are many, many names for God. This is the most deep theological name, I am. He said he was the great I am. Now, I know many of you read, so I'm going to show you just a couple of books uh, here, references. Uh, I know Leo Scriven uses this in his evangelistic meetings, this little book, More Than a Carpenter, by Josh McDowell. And Josh McDowell says, 
Uh, Christian apologists, well, he's he, in his book, More Than a Carpenter, in connection with the claims of Christ, there are only three viable possibilities. Either Jesus was a liar, or he was a lunatic, or he was just who he claimed to be, the Lord God. Have you ever heard there's nothing new under the sun? Uh, do you know the difference between a plagiarist and a scholar? I've written lots of books, and people like my books because I document where I get all the stuff in them, you know, like Sunday's Coming, all those books. The difference between a plagiarist and a scholar, well, that's kind of the answer. The, the real answer, in my perspective, is a plagiarist copies one person a lot, or, you know, copies a whole bunch of their stuff, maybe without giving them credit. A scholar copies lots of people. So where do you think Josh McDowell got this? C.S. Lewis. Yeah, it's just interesting. So I'll show you this. C.S. Lewis, the eminent, this is not English, it's Scottish, actually, British uh, Protestant scholar. Here's what he said. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Now this next part is C.S. Lewis is one of his high points, I think. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. He's either God or he's a liar or a lunatic. Now, so you will know I actually believe and teach that Ellen White was a prophet of God. The same three things would apply to her, not being God, but being a prophet. Either she was goofy, or she was lying, or she was a prophet. You have no other choices. There are people now, even among Adventism, that want to tell you she was just for devotional reading and she was a good woman. Good women don't lie. Is that true? You get the point. So I'm going to show you it's important that we, and I'll have a few quotations as we go along here. Now this one to me is very interesting. The creator God that we talked to you about is none other than Jesus Christ. Now to me this is really interesting. John 1 verse 3 says, all things are made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. And you understand, when my administrative assistant, Lori, put this together, these pictures, aren't they beautiful? The amazing thing is, there are thousands such pictures you could get from nature that our Creator God made for us. Now, I told you we're living in a world of sin and problems and deceit and greed and all of that. And sorrow and death. Jesus came, the Creator God, so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. That's what I want you to understand here. This is not a time, and I, I don't want to be critical of anyone else, this is not a time for us to be fleeing to the mountains and crying the earth, the sky is falling. This is a time for us to take our resources and finish God's work. Amen. That's what I believe. Do you understand? I do believe that there's going to be very serious financial crisis, but I will tell you one other thing. There are 28 references in the spirit of prophecy to the term uh, national ruin. Have you ever heard the term national ruin? Some people are talking about it now. National ruin follows national apostasy, which is the inaction by our government of the Sunday law. 
So we have a little breathing room here. Do you understand? Uh, I think they're going to put a Band-Aid on things. I mean, I don't know what else they could do with a, a Fed rate down at 0.25%, you know. But you under, you, it's pretty serious when you think about it. Okay, we're going to look at a, a, a couple of other points. And these are just, you know, that God's in control. And I'll show you this. Both riches and honor come from you. You reign over all. It's in your power and uh, in your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. There are just many, many others. When Melchizedek came to Abram, he said that he is God most high or possessor of heaven and earth. This is one of the most interesting things to me in the Bible. Do you remember when the Israelites, after just a few months in the wilderness, came to the, the borders of Canaan and they sent in the 12 spies? You remember? The 10 spies came back and said, the people there are giants. They looked at us as grasshoppers and we felt like grasshoppers. There's no way we can go in there. This is really interesting to me. So what did they do? Even though Caleb and Joshua said, no, it's a land fruitful of milk and honey. We can do it. God will do it for us. They almost stoned those guys. They had to go back in the wilderness for 40 years. Now listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you next. The next time they came back, after 40 years, they sent two spies in, and these people had to hide themselves on the rooftop of a prostitute named Rahab. And she said to them, where have you guys been for the past 40 years? The last time you came here, we were so scared we couldn't fight. We thought you were just going to walk in and take over, and you went back to the wilderness. Isn't that incredible? God had gone beforehand. And I'll show it to you in the Bible here. This is really interesting. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. When did that happen? Forty years before. This is Rahab talking. When you came out of Egypt and what he did for the, you to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of Jordan. And then it says, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. And why? Because the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. All these things are similar to that one. Uh, there's many, many more I can just tell you about. I, I don't think I'm going to spend a lot of time on these. I want to show you one other one. The reason this God is so important, creator of heaven and earth, is because that's our hope. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered to come to mind. This is from Isaiah. Peter says, nevertheless, we according to his promise. He was counting on this one. We look for a new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. Do you like that? So I know many of you have your Bibles. And so if you do, let's go to a Bible passage. And I'd like for you to go to, first of all, Proverbs, the third chapter. This is a kind of a spiritual foundation for what we're going to talk about in the other five sessions, but you'll see this one to be very interesting. What is unique about the book of Proverbs? It's very well, the interesting part, it was written by the wisest man who ever lived under inspiration of God. I mean, where could you find anything more valuable to read than this? It's really interesting. So here it is. We're starting with verse 5. Uh, chapter 3 of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is interesting. Don't depend on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Would that include the management of our money if it's all your ways? Sure. Then it says He'll direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Now that's the introduction to verses 9 and 10. And here it is. Honor the Lord with your possessions 
and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now this is written to agricultural people, and you understand what you do it will prosper. Now the real interesting part about this, I ask people, why do you think God wants us to put Him first? Any ideas? It's not because He needs the money, it's not because I said so, because I'm God. Exercising our faith that he'll take care of. Oh, sure. You, you exercise faith in doing that, that you're in partnership with God. The most awesome thing about it, God says, if you put me first, I will bless the rest. And there are many people that go through life thinking they're too poor to tithe, and so they miss out on that major blessing that God wants to give people. To me, it's really, really incredible. And the devil comes and whispers in their ear, what do you think the brethren are going to do with the money? And you know, all that stuff. It's God's money. And he's going to hold the brethren responsible if they misuse it. But it's very clear in the spirit of prophecy that God will not hold us responsible. Listen carefully to what I just told you. If we're faithful and the brethren misuse the money, God will not hold us responsible. Did you hear what I just said? You want me to say it three times? I will just tell you something very, very interesting. There's a story in the Bible about a lady who gave her last two cents. Remember the widow's mites? Do you understand the context there? The only offering Jesus ever commended was when a lady gave everything she had to a church that was just about to kill him. Isn't it true? It's pretty amazing, really. We can come up with all kinds of lame excuses about not being faithful, but it's important that we are faithful. Now we're going to look at another passage, and it's back farther in the Old Testament, and it's Deuteronomy chapter 28. Does anybody know the circumstances under which the book of Deuteronomy was Moses written? Was okay, Moses gathers all of Israel just before he goes up on Mount Nebo and dies, which is an interesting story all in itself. Do you like the Bible stories? God is really, really awesome. It says, by faith, Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God and enjoy the treasures of sin for a season in Egypt. Had he decided to stay in Egypt, where would he be today? He would be a mummy. There's no question about it, likely. And instead, where is he? In heaven. It's really interesting. So this is Moses' last sermons to Israel. Oh, I want to tell you something else about it. If you want something really fun, get all of your Bible stories and read them through again in the Scriptures, and then go to the Spirit of Prophecy and find out where Ellen White talks about them. So Moses says to God, I really want to go over to the Promised Land. I mean, I've been thinking about this for 40 years. I, said, I just want to go. And in the third chapter of this book, Deuteronomy, Moses tells the Israelites, God told me, don't ever mention that to me again. You are not going in. Boy, that sounds so awful. Had he gone in, he would have just died and been buried there somewhere. But God had something else for him. When he climbed up on Mount Nebo, now, only young people would understand what I'm going to tell you next. God gave Moses bionic everything. Did you understand what I mean by that? Bionic vision, bionic hearing, and bionic uh, sight. Now, you, I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. Ellen White says that when God said, I will let you see the land, he was able to see so well that for miles into the land, he could see the fruit on the trees. And he could smell the grapes, and he could hear the birds chirping in the hundreds of miles away. 
This is really an amazing story to me. But anyway, he's giving this to Israel. And so his, his last, one of his last sermons, he says, uh, we're at chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. By the way, you remember in, in Malachi, the third chapter, where God says, you're cursed with a curse, even this whole nation? You know where the curses of God are? They're in this chapter. Chapter 15 to 63, or 68. We'll see, I'll see how far, I'm not going to read any of the curses, 68. Yeah, so there's like 53 verses of curses. It's awful stuff. You've never heard a sermon on this. Likely you never will, but you can read them. They're in there. Now I'm going to tell you that we're just going to look at the, the blessings part. Here it is. This is the spiritual part of the foundation of money management. God says, we're going to start with verse 1. Chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings will come on you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, I'm going to tell you what it means to be overtaken by a blessing. Kathy and I, as we were driving from the airport last evening, were listening to a national public radio, and they were talking about one of the places in San Francisco that you don't want to go after 9 o'clock at night because it isn't safe. Well, where we live in Washington, D.C. area, last year they had more than 700 carjackings. Now, I don't know if you understand what this means, but if you had an apartment and your car was outside and you came out the next morning and it was gone, somebody just stole your car. But a carjacking occurs when you are present. And it's extremely dangerous. Most of the time, it happens in, at night, not always, but in the D.C. area last year, I remember, a guy was driving his new Jeep Cherokee, uh, an attorney, on his way home from work and stopped at a 7-Eleven type place to fill up with gas. After he filled his tank, he decided to go and get something to drink. When he came out, it's the guy standing by his car with a gun. He says, give me your keys or I will kill you. Well, as an attorney, he thought he could, you know, wordsmith his way out of this and talk a little bit. Well, it, long story short, the guy shot him to the neck, and he's paralyzed, a quadriplegic, the rest of his life. He says, I guess I'm just lucky that I'm still alive. The guy drove off in his car and left him in a pool of blood at the service station. This is a, you know, so nowadays you have to wonder who's around. Do you understand? You have to look and hear something coming. How would you like to hear something coming and turn around and it's God's wave of blessings coming to your family? Would that be awesome? Well, here it is. This is what it says. All these blessings will come on you and what? Overtake you. God's hunting for us. Then he says, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, I'm going to read down through this because the word of God is really powerful and you'll be able to see all these things. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. I mean, nothing's left out here. It's just amazing. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you uh, one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you uh, in your storehouses and all of which you set your hand to do. And he will bless you in the land of the Lord your God that is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you. Now listen to the next part. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. 
I was at the Soquel camp meeting a couple of years back, and when I was there, a lady called my office back in Washington. And because I have written books in, on 3ABN and so on, people call my office all the time for financial counseling. Lori, my secretary, said he's at camp meeting this week, and he's speaking like three times a day and doing camp meeting calling and so on. But if you'll give me your number, I'll have him call you back. She started crying. The next day she called again, even though Lori said I would not be back until the following Monday. And she cried every day on the phone. When I got back to the office, Lori said, would you call this lady first? So I called her, and when I got her on the phone, she started crying. And I said, what is your problem? How can I help you? And she says, we're over $300,000 in debt. And she said, I just returned from an attorney's office and said, our only hope is to file for bankruptcy. But I just don't think that's the Christian thing to do. Do you? And I said, no. Uh, maybe I could help you. She said, we owe $300,000. You know what I thought immediately? They probably bought themselves too big of a house. And I said, well, how much of that is your house payment? She said, we don't own our house. We're renting. So then I said, uh, well, what's the nature of the debt? And I'm going to tell you some things now so that you guys can be wise. She said, we uh, started our own business. And you know that uh, withholding that employers take out for part of the uh, Social Security for their employees and so on? Well, we took it out for our employees, but we didn't send it to the government. We spent it. And we've done that for two years, and we haven't filed our income tax for two years, and we owe over $200,000 of that money to the government. And then she said, you've heard of student loans, haven't you? And I said, oh, sure. She says, well, oh, something like uh, 80000 or whatever is student loans. And my husband and I both got student loans while they, we were going through college and graduate school. Oh, by the way, I would presume that some of you are single. If you ever decide to get married, when you're courting the person, find out how much debt they have. Because when you marry them, you will inherit that. And it's very important. That doesn't mean you shouldn't, but you should go in with your eyes open. Do you understand? Student loans. And then she said the last part of it is credit card debt that we uh, have been living on credit cards, you know, uh, stuff that we, even, even food, she said. Then I said to her, did the attorney tell you that if you file for bankruptcy, you cannot discharge any money you owe the government in taxes? You cannot own, discharge any government-backed student loans. By the way, if you have a student loan, government-backed student loan, there's only two ways to get out from under the obligation. You know what they are? Die. Pay it off or die. Real simple. So whenever, we're going to talk about student loans later today, but I'm going to show you ways that you can get through school with minimum student loans. And student loans are very important. I have a whole slide in the next session that I'll show you how much you can expect to earn if you get an education as compared to if you don't, etc. I mean, you've got a choice. As you get older, your choices that you made when you're young people are going to be very, very valuable. At the end of your life, you're going to be welcome people to McDonald's or, or Walmart. You understand what I'm saying? Living in a mobile home? if you didn't get an education. It's just real simple. And what I'm going to tell you, this, this is valuable. So I said, you're only going to be able to discharge your, your uh, credit cards, but all the other stuff you're still going to owe. Now here's the interesting thing. I said to the lady, I want to ask you a question. You've called me as a Christian attorney. I'm going to tell you, ask you a question. Have you guys been tithing? Guess what she said? No, we can't afford to tithe. And I said, how do you expect God, who has unlimited resources, to bless you while you're robbing him? So the very first thing, if you're in debt, establish the tithe. Be faithful with God. God is the owner of everything. And he is, he's, there's no shortage with God. Follow the principles. That's what I'm telling you, if you do. Now we're going to go on here. This is pretty interesting. So 
Let's go to verse 10. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by my name, and they shall be afraid of you or honor you. Wouldn't it be incredible if we as the Adventists were known not just that we don't eat pork and we go to church on Saturday, but that we always pay our debts and that God has prospered us financially. Wouldn't that be awesome? It really would be amazing. Then it says here, verse 11, The Lord shall grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the hand and the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. Now notice these next two verses. They're just really amazing. The Lord will open to you his good treasures, the heavens, to give you the rain in your land in its season, to bless all the work of your hand, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. To me, this is incredible. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath, if you heed the commandments which the, the, the Lord uh, your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. Isn't this incredible? This is the secret in the Bible of prosperity. Now, it's interesting that Jesus also said similar things in his famous mountain sermon. So we'll go over to Matthew 6. Right in the middle of this passage, to me it's very interesting that we can see it there. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus' famous mountain sermon. By the way, we call this the Sermon on the Mount. But what was Jesus actually doing? Was he walking around and jumping around on the platform? What was he doing? The Bible says he sat down and taught them. It's a seminar like we're doing today. So we're going to look at it. And right in the middle of this famous sermon that Jesus gave is Matthew 6:19. And I'm going to show you something very interesting here because Matthew 6, 19 to 33 is Jesus, well, even to the end of the chapter, the next verse also, is Jesus' counsel about money management. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Have you ever heard somebody give a sermon that brought something out of a verse you'd never seen before? It's really interesting, especially theologians. I'm, I call myself a Bible student, but theologians can really find stuff. Let me just show you something here. Why does Jesus say we should not store up treasures on this earth? It says it right in the text. What's the answer? Okay, it gives several different ways it could be destroyed, right? The reason is that Jesus says don't store it up here is not because it's wrong, but because it's stupid. It can't be safe here. Isn't that true? Now the next one is very, very interesting. And then it says, verse 20, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And there it's safe. For thieves do not break in and steal, and so on rust and moth and rust don't destroy. So how do you store up treasures in heaven? Anybody have an idea about that? Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story of a man we called the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and asked the question, what could I do to inherit eternal life? What did Jesus tell him? He said, first of all, keep the commandments. And he started quoting some of the Ten Commandments when the young man said, which ones? Then 
what do I lack yet? He says, sell what you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure stored up in heaven, and come and follow me. They all say storing up treasures in heaven by helping other people. And I think I have a couple of references to that. I'll go through it real quickly and show you here, because we're going to see a couple of other real fascinating ones. Oh, look at this one. I don't want to pass this up, even though I've gone ahead of my speech a little bit. The, the message of Seventh-day Adventist to the world is the three angels' messages, right? And how is it in beginning? I uh, saw another angel, and he says, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And what? Worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Just like the fourth commandment, just like Genesis, the first chapter. Really amazing. It, to me, that's the whole story through the Bible. Seventh-day Adventists are the only ones that get this. We, we have it better than anyone. And to me, it's very interesting. This is, you know, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's, all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. I'm, I'm going to go just to a couple of these. All, many of these are just amazing passages. There's so many in the Bible you can find yourself. But I'm just going to show you, I'm going to go real quickly to this one. Here we are, I'm talking to you about this amazing sermon. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, do you see where I have yourselves underlined there? That really should be in italics. When Ellen White comments about this, she has these two words in italics. And it's in Councils on Stewardship. You can just look it up in the, in the Scripture Index and you'll find it there. Now here's the, I think I have it in another slide, but I'm just going to tell you something interesting. And this would be fun for you to know. When I first gave one of my books, the book Even at the Door, to the Review and Herald to print, I had in there uh, sentences underlined and sentences in bold and sentences, some of them that were in italics. And some of the things that I thought were real important, I had in italics, bold italics, and underlined. I mean, all, all three of the things you could do. And they, they wrote, to, they sent me an email back, well, we like the book and everything, but the problem is you have all this underlying and bold and italics. And this is against house policy. You know, they call it the Review and Herald Publishing House, the house. So they say, this is against house policy. Well, I pled with them and I said, you know, I really want the people to understand what the important points are. Because when I went to law school, you know, you can read a case in the, in the law case books that's like 30 pages of fine print. And you've got to find out where the case turns. There's like one sentence where the real answer is. So I said to my readers, I don't want you to have to hunt for it. This is it right here. So I underlined or bold or whatever. Anyway, I will tell you, they have printed all of my books with underlining and bold and italics. It's the only, <laughs> I'm the only author, I think, but the, that they do that for. But anyway, Ellen White never has any bold or any underlining, but occasionally she will have italics. This is really, really interesting. So, by the way, one of them, this is just a little aside, it has nothing to do with money, but it has to do with eschatology. Read sometime Great Controversy 370 and 371. There's a real interesting italic there for you to see it. I, I'm not going to tell you any more about that, but you find it. But this way, it is in italics in Ellen White's writings in Councils on Stewardship. It's about page 106 or 109 right in there. Anyway, the whole idea is when you store up treasures in heaven, it's not for God because God doesn't need the money. It's for you. Now I'm going to tell you an illustration. Most of you have either heard me speak or have read some of my books. You know that I believe in the general validity of what we call the great week of time. You know, the 6,000 years followed by 7,000 years when the earth is desolate and God's people are in heaven. Well, if all of time were just in the width of this room, 
This is, you know, from the creation to the second coming. Now, the real interesting part, what would be on that side of the wall? There's an actual word for it. Eternity, there's one other word, past. That's where God is. You understand, that's where he was. In the beginning, God created him. He didn't create himself. He was there when he created the earth. But on the other side of the wall is eternity future when we plan to be with God. Isn't that true? With all of time and all of eternity, how long a space is your life? Just like a dot, a little period. And I say to people, pretend like your life is that dot, and from the dot, a line stretches out, goes out through that wall, and goes way out over that way somewhere, never ends. That's eternity. So if you're smart, would you concentrate on the dot or the line? You get the point. The whole idea is the rich young ruler left all of eternity and all of heaven for the dot. That is stupid. Isn't it? You understand. It's, I mean, we don't use that word much when you're speaking, but uh, it's just really it is true. Okay. Now, when Ellen White comments about this verse, she says, when you help others, you store up treasures in heaven, and you're working for your own interests. This is, we'll talk about the last session tomorrow, uh, about uh, the treasures in heaven. Uh, this, this is the story right here. Now, here's another interesting point. I didn't read this. I will just tell it to you. In 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain because we brought nothing into the world. And how much are we taking out with us? Nothing. Now, this is interesting. The Bible says we're taking nothing out with us. But it also says that we can store up treasures in heaven. So do you get the point here? This to me is very interesting. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. That to me is an amazing concept. And you'll see that when we talk the last session, the, the treasures in heaven. Okay, let's go back to the Bible here, and I want you to see something interesting. There is not a person here who has not thought about lunch so far. You know, so later this morning, we're going to have another meal. Don't they have a meal at lunchtime? Okay. Well, you, you, what I'm telling you is you think about things, and if you've got a ticket, you wonder, well, no problem, you've got a ticket. But if you don't, what am I going to have? You understand? Well, you know, you're also thinking, what am I going to wear today? What am I going to wear tomorrow? Where will I live? What kind of a house will I have? By the way, you just think about housing alone. That is a major decision for everyone. Whether you live in a single-family dwelling, you know, a condominium, a townhouse, uh, you know, stay with your relatives, sleep under a bridge, sleep in your car. People do that. Do you understand? A lady came to me for counseling at the general conference who was a registered nurse and worked a regular shift at the hospital, and her home was her automobile. She slept in it every night. And when she would go an hour early to work and take a shower and clean up at, you know, at, at work, uh, I, I just couldn't believe it. But people have all kinds of housing situations. You have to worry about that or you know, contemplate it. It has to be one of your considerations, doesn't it? Where you live, you're going to pay your house payment or your rent or your house is paid off or you know, whatever. So Jesus says, I know you need all these things. Didn't he say that in here? It's very clear. But then it says in uh, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. I think that's incredible. God says, put me first so I can bless your family. Bless you personally. It's really interesting. And I will just tell you, never think that what God asks us to do is impossible because of money. Because he has, he's the owner of everything. If he asks us to do something, he will provide the funds. 
Now let me just tell you, I'm going to tell you a story so you'll understand what I mean by this. I know that many of you have been or are now currently or plan to become involved in some ministry. Do you know how, whether or not it's God's will that you do a certain thing? Whether he provides the money to do it. I'm going to give you an illustration. Can, will you allow God to say no in your life? I want to give you an illustration so you'll see. There's a man in Dalton, Georgia, not an Adventist, a Baptist pastor who I met and, and fellowshiped with several different times. And he said that in his church, uh, they, they were growing so much that they needed more space. And the lady that lived next door had like a two-acre lot with an older house on it. And she came one day and said to them, I'm thinking about selling my place, and I would let you guys have the first choice if you want to buy it. And here's the price. I'm just going to pull a number out of the air. $100,000. They needed a place for their youth to meet, and they wanted to have, make more parking spaces and so on for their church. So it almost seemed ideal. Do you think God is opening the door at this point? I know you're going to be a little bit cautious because of what I'm trying to tell you, but <laughs> well, you don't know for sure, but it looks like it. Okay? So what the pastor and two of the elders said to the lady, we feel this would be something we could really utilize, but we don't know for sure if God wants us to have it. So what we're going to do is the three of us have decided that we will each give you $1,000 of our own money as, what do you call it when you buy property? Earnest money. So you have this money. If we don't give you the rest of the money in 90 days, you keep the money and you can sell it to someone else. But if God wants us to have the money, we'll get the money together in that period of time. So they brought it to the church and they prayed about it and the church decided they were going to do it. So at the end of 90 days, they really didn't have 100000 They had 115000 so they paid the lady cash. She's thrilled. They're thrilled. And they had $15,000 over to pay the larger part of the parking lot. For their, you understand what I'm talking about? That's when you know that God is leading. What if they hadn't raised the money? Door shut. The door, God says, it's not appropriate. There'll be something on the other side or behind you or whatever that will open up in the future. Do you understand? Listen carefully. There are people that are going around telling you you should mortgage your house to do these kinds of things. That is not biblical and is not according to the spirit of prophecy. I just want you to understand that. If God wants you to do something, obviously faith is important. And the faith of these three men I just told you was giving their own money to tie it up. You understand? But we're willing to lose it for God's sake if necessary. That's the important thing. Okay. We're going to look at a couple of other passages here. Uh, I'm just going to let you show, I'm going to show you a couple of Spirit of Prophecy references. And uh, here it is. Every opportunity to help a brother in need or to aid the cause of God to spread the truth is a pearl that you can send beforehand and deposit in the bank of heaven for safekeeping. Every such opportunity improved or taken advantage of adds to your heavenly treasure. It is clear when you read through the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that every one of us have an account in heaven. This is amazing. I will tell you that in October, well, actually the first weekend of November this year, we had the year-end meeting at the North American Division, and I talked to several people who are my age, colleagues in ministry, who have lost a lot of money in their retirement accounts and are going to have to work longer. Do you understand what I'm talking about? But God says when you put money in His treasure, it is safe. 
to me, this is pretty interesting when you can see it in that way. Now, here's another one from Desire of Ages. This is one of my favorite ones. It's Desire of Ages 523. When Christ's followers give back to the Lord his own. Now, remember, it belongs to him. But they are accumulating treasure which will be given to them when they shall hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So you understand when God gives it back, it becomes yours. To me, it's amazing. It really is. Uh, and I, I wrote a whole chapter about that. I found some real, real interesting stuff uh, in the spirit of prophecy about it. Uh, how valuable is money today? Well, it's very, very valuable. I can just tell you for these reasons. Money is of no more value than sand, but only as it is put to use in providing for the necessities of life, in blessing others, and advancing the cause of Christ. Now, those last two are the ones that store up treasures in heaven. Isn't it true? Now, listen. If I'm in debt my whole life, and I just barely have my nose above water, how much am I helping others or helping advance the cause of God? Do you understand that it, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive? The people who are helping to sustain the cause of God are receiving tremendous blessings today. I really believe that. And the interesting part about it is, if I'm not helping to advance the cause of God, God's going to get the work finished without me, if necessary. But think of all the blessings that I'm missing. You get the point? I mean, it's very simple when you think about it in that way. Now, here's what I want to show you. This is true in the church, and it's true in your life. There are a lot of things that we just have to do. For example, pay your electric bill. If you don't pay for it in two months, guess what's going to happen? They're going to turn it off. They don't care if your food goes rotten in your freezer or what happens, or you have to work around in the daylight you know, and go to sleep at night. You're going to get it turned off. So you've got to do that much, right? Those are the kind of things that you'll talk about. Here's some things that you should do. But think of all these opportunities of what we could do. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration right now so you'll understand. Remember, we're going to talk about it in another session this afternoon about why tithe and offerings are important to the Christian. And it's not because God needs the money. You'll find some amazing things in the Bible about that. But I'll just give you this little short illustration. If any of you have ever worked in the church and you're aware of what happens, do you realize that there are at least 40% of people in most Adventist churches that give nothing in the offering or tithe? Did you hear what I just said? This is incredible. Nothing. And that means, well, I'll just tell you this is, and you guys are going to be part of this. So in 2009, in the North American Division, we're planning for all of the ministers and all the laymen who want to, to conduct evangelistic meetings, whether it's share him or whatever it might be, you understand, to do meetings. And I will just tell you something interesting. We have a goal in North America, though our typical year is 30,000 baptisms in North American Division. We're planning 2009, anybody know the number? 100,000 baptisms. 100,000. You think God's able to bless us to do that? Amen. Now, here's the deal, though. If these people, when they become new Christians, are taught the blessings of Christian money management and stewardship, they will help us lift the burdens. If they're not, they will be part of the burden. Do you get the point? That means we'll have to print 100,000 more Sabbath school quarterlies and heat up the room for 100,000 more people. Now, you understand, I, don't, I really want to, want to see lots of people come in. But it's to our advantage when we teach people as Bible workers or whatever about the biblical principles of money management. That's really, really important. 
Okay, th these are things that we could do. Now these, I want you to jot them down. These are the texts that I just told you about earlier. You probably already have them written down somewhere, but I just want you to see where they are. Now, I'm going to close by telling you uh, a couple of illustrations. Is there anything in the Bible where God has promised us that uh, if we become Christians, we'll become wealthy by the world standards? There's this name it and claim it people. You understand what I'm talking about? Where, you know, they, they have a Sunday morning television with rings on every finger and they want you to be rich and so on. Well, the reason they tell you that is because they actually get rich by all the contributions that come in to them. But it doesn't really help you any. And my brother Ken lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where there's several of these so-called ministries that are established. And he actually installs cable television. And he told me one day he has cable at his house. And he was watching one of these Sunday morning preachers. And he said, God has told me that if you'll send our ministry $100, he will bless your family with $1,000. Well, most of the time people don't respond to these things. But my brother Ken said, that one was just too good to be true. So he said, I sat down and wrote a letter to the ministry and said, on a certain day, at a certain program, I, you know, it says program number 111 or whatever, uh, you said that if we would send you a ministry, $100, God would bless your, our family with 1000 And he said, I have a better idea. Why don't you send me $100 and God will bless your ministry with $1,000? <laughs> and he said he never heard back from them. Now you can imagine why. Well, the whole idea, though, is God has said something, and it's a promise, and you want to write this down. Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all of your needs according to his, what's the next word? Riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This, to me, is amazing. God's promise he'll supply our needs. This is really, really interesting. And the next one I want to tell you about is, some of you are probably a long distance from home. I talked to somebody who's right from this area this morning. But I'll tell you this interesting part to me, and that is uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Now, sometimes you get yourself in unusual circumstances. Where is God? I need him right now. Well, he's right there because he says, I will go with you wherever you go. And I want to tell you something else very amazing. We're in very, very stressful times today, aren't we? Now, here's the amazing thing. God says in Isaiah 26, verse 3, isn't it? Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. So if you understand that you're following God's will to the best of your ability, can you trust God to take care of your family and yourself? I think you can. I think that's really, really important stuff. Okay, uh, we're gonna, it's time for us to take a break, and you can either come to my session. In the next one, I'm actually going to talk about finances in the sense of what young people can do to pay for their way through college. Do you know that about 70% of college graduates end up working in a field that has absolutely nothing to do with their degree? How do you know how to take the right one? I'm going to show you that, too. And uh, the, the, what you can do with a good education, the kinds of things to get involved in, and so on. So we're, we're going to pray right now to close. And then in 15 minutes, we'll start back with our second morning seminar. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the privilege we've had of knowing you and of being into our Bibles today to see the foundation of everything, that you're the creator of everything. And I pray that you will bless each of us with the knowledge that you love us, that you want to take care of us, and you've set in place principles that we can follow that will help us to prosper and be successful in this life. Dismiss us now with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, 
please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.